This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, as I mentioned, Elliot joins me in hour two from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Meanwhile, he is the co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. He is Gord Stalick, uh, who I'm sure can regale us for hours on uh, with stories on Borea Salming. Uh, but time is our enemy today, Gord Stalick, so we're only going to be able to squeeze in a few. First of all, uh, good afternoon, Gordy. How are you? I am good. Uh, am I supposed to be like Elliot eating lunch while I'm on the air as well? I'm not sure. I'm used to you walking around the city of Toronto or maybe walking around an arena with the sound of glasses, uh, pucks caroming off either crossbars <laughs> or, or, or plexiglass, ambient sound, as we call it in, in television and the media industry. So uh, feel free to um, prepare your lunch, maybe pour a drink, flip on the television, see what's on, because we're used to something in the background when Elliot is aboard. Um, I want to get to some of the games last night and some of the teams and the, the weekend coming up. But I want to start by talking about Borea Salming. And there's a lot of different ways you can measure toughness. There is, you know, uh, you know there's, there's the toughness of, you know, uh, beating someone up, being physically stronger than someone else. There is that type of toughness. But Borea Salming, I think we all feel, had an even more challenging type of toughness. Or maybe, I'm not, maybe I shouldn't say that. He had a more profound toughness about him that he was able to withstand every slash every cross check every high stick every punch every mugging every hit from behind anything that the nhl and a lot of it revolved around the philadelphia flyers and the mel bridgman story is awful he was able to absorb all of it and not change at all and kept coming back when i say the name borea salming what comes to your mind gord uh, greatest player I was ever associated with. Uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to watch him on the ice all the time and get to know him as a friend. Uh, just um, And this is why being so um, with what he's battling right now. I mean, th- this was this was the yeah. biggest stud I know. This 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 was the guy, the rock, the body, uh, the strongest human being that uh, I knew. So uh, I just um, yeah, I just smile all the time. And I you know you know Jeff I. He he played as you you talk about. He broke in the league, and it's funny. We've talked to I've talked to people like Scott Stevens and said, you know, what would happen if you broke in thirty years later? Because he was such a physical guy and those kinds of hits. And he goes, well, you'd have to evolve, right? And he would have evolved, you know, to a yeah. different style of play. And Borea came in as we honor uh, this weekend a bunch of Swedish-born NHL players that at a time that was probably the worst for anybody who didn't play that physical style. Oh, yeah. And everyone talks about that first time that he went into Philadelphia. And he stood up to them, and it's kind of like he earned his stripes, and we're in an era now of no bullying and no whatever, but Borea earned it, and the game evolved, and, and, you know, his style just moved with any style that went out there. And the Maple Leafs had really good teams then under Jim Gregory and Red Kelly and Roger Nielsen, the not-so-good teams, and he still went out every night and gave it. That's hard to do, Jeff, to be on a losing team Mm -hmm. and play a Hockey Hall of Fame style of game, game in, game out for what was 80 games last uh, a couple of decades ago, not 82, and boy, Yasami did it. Yeah. You know, I've always said one of the best compliments you can pay any hockey player was we were having a conversation about Brad Marchand, and I was saying, like, he could play in any single era. He could he could play when it was clutch and grab. He could play in the 70s when half the league should have been in prison. He could have played in a low-scoring 2-1 to league in the 1920s. He could have played in the half-day trap Toronto Maple Leafs era. Like, he could have played in any single era. And I say the same thing about Borja Salming, and mainly... Because A, he could skate, and two, this guy was just a sublime athlete. Like, you know, share, share some of the stories about, you know, Borea Salming, you know, going to the morning skate, then going skiing all afternoon, and then, you know, coming back to Maple Leaf Gardens and, you know, getting, you know, three assists and a goal of his first start of the game. Well, and, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned he came over with a guy named Inga Hammerstrom, who 20 years later, yep. Inga would have been a phenomenal player, but he was a guy that era wasn't conducive to him. And ironically, he became a valued scout of the Philadelphia Flyers when he retired, the same team that basically kind of almost ran him out of the league when he started. But I, I um, you know, a lot of guys fell by the wayside. I shouldn't say a lot. Some guys, because Borea could, Borea played hard and he worked hard. He played hard on and off the ice. Okay. And I, I just, you know, yeah. and I can think yep. of uh, coming in just before curfew at the uh, 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 Marriott Hotel 
and all of a sudden quickly putting coins in the thing to get potato chips and crap like that, the stuff I ate, and it showed on my body where <laughs> Borea, he was impervious to it. And, uh, uh, and, and one I, I remember that was kind of defining was first sports bar I ever went was in St. Louis. It was Jackie Smith Sports Bar, the old tight end for the St. Louis Cardinal football team. And uh, I was there with uh, – actually, Dale Talon was doing color for the Leafs. That's how long ago it was. He was on radio for about a year and a half. Wow. And we, the Leafs, had lost something like a close game, say 3-2 to two to the Blues that night in St. Louis. And back when guys really gave thought to picking the three stars, unlike the, how they seem to do it nowadays, Borea was uh, – yeah. I don't know if it was the first star, but one of the three stars that night picked by the opposing team. And he played that well. Like, he was the best player. And, and so we're at that establishment. And then the the bartender, she goes, oh, wait, oh, you guys are with the Maple Leafs, are you? Yeah, one of your guys was in last night, Borgie something. And the, look, here's what he drank. And she pulls his <laughs> bottle out from behind the bar, whatever it was. So here he was. He had played hard. And then on the on the ice, he played hard yeah. again and had that game. Yeah. And that, you know, that was Borgia because you're right. You know, the coaches gave him uh, a skate off in the morning because he was a veteran player, played a lot. And then someone saw him on the ski slopes yeah. on the day of a game, right? So <laughs> the point of having the morning off skate was to get some rest, but he took it to go skiing. So, uh, you know, there was a guy that he, he pushed the envelopes in a lot of ways some things but just 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 magnet mm-hmm. he's the sweetest james bond i call him the sweetest james bond hmm uh he was he was stylish uh he was elegant he was sneaky uh as well and you know i i still think you know one of the enduring visuals and i think it was the hockey news that put this on the cover after that game against the red wings where gerard gallant accidentally stepped on his face and it was what was oh. it called like 200 stitches that, yeah. that that Salming had it oh, was more than that more than like, that it was this horrifying one of the most horrifying you know scars I think we've 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 ever seen and they I mean completely inadvertent by Gallant nothing is is malicious here even though those games between Toronto and and Detroit were particularly violent but I mean you want to talk about a guy that endured a lot in the game both deliberately and accidentally Borja Salming's up at the top of the list for a lot of people I, I, it, it's going to yeah. be great seeing him this weekend. Yeah, I remember after that game, I came in the dressing room, had no idea about the gravity of the injury, which is interesting with what Evander Kane just went through. You know, um, Borea was similar, except he was in the facial area. And our trainer, Guy Kinnear, just had blood all over him. It looked like that TV show MASH. And I remember the uh, Red Wing trainer was a guy named Jim Pangeli, and he said... Our, our plastic surgeon is the best in the league. I think his name was Dr. Finley. And um, Borea said when he took the bandages off the first time, he almost passed out looking at himself in the mirror. And um, after that, the way it healed, it's funny, Dr. Finley would drop by the, leaf, the visiting dressing room when the Leafs were in town, and they'd shake hands. And then he would take a look at, at Borea, kind of like an artist looking at his picture, right? You know, because he'd, <laughs> he'd done such a phenomenal job. But the other, the other part, people remember yeah. how fearless Borea was. And he just would drop down and block everything. And I thought, okay, this guy oh, yeah. has to be wearing a jock the size of, like, you know, the, the biggest in the world. No, he just wore regular yeah. shin pads, regular pants, regular, regular size, everything. I mean, they didn't have the super equipment like they had now. But some, some players would, you know, kind of pad up a little bit more. He was always cutting, you know, his shoulder pads as short as he can, his gloves as short as he can because he wanted all the flexibility. Uh, all the flexibility. So he was incredibly, incredibly yeah. fearless when he'd go out and play. It's going to be great seeing him this weekend. You know, when we think of um, uh, of toughness, and I always love, by the way, just as an aside, I always loved Peter Forsberg uh, for a number of reasons. One, uh, the way he played, you know, how sublime he was, the cups, the individual awards and everything. And I just loved because like you, Gord, I remember the era of the, uh, you know, oh, chicken Swede, chicken Swede, these guys can't play over here. I just love that for a you know for a period of time in the NHL the you know the the biggest and toughest and most productive power forward in the NHL was a Swede in in Peter Forsberg and there's a number of Swedes going into the Hall of Fame on Monday uh, Daniel Alfredson is one of them. And I want to get your thoughts, though, first on the Sedins, Henrik and Daniel, because everything that I just said about Borja Salming uh, with, you know, enduring assaults on the ice and taunts on the ice and being given every single excuse uh, to quit and, and, and go back to Sweden and, you know, forget this, this idea of playing in the NHL. You know, they always resisted. They endured. They took everything and just chugged along and continued to perform, and they played very much in an era 
where the NHL was north-south. It was almost like table hockey. It was a table hockey kind of league. Everyone had their lane. It was up and down, patrol, patrol, patrol. And these guys were going east-west the whole time, finding each other. It was just remarkable. I mean, Burroughs would talk about how they communicate like dolphins, which I always thought was a funny <laughs> line. Uh, they just knew where each other were, would make sounds, and they would know instinctively what to do. Uh, your thoughts on Henrik and Daniel uh, as they're poised to go into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, because, of course, you know, Alfredson's a guy we saw a lot more with Ottawa if you're in Toronto. But uh, uh, as we know, because we did the show many times, whenever there was off-air, a lull in the conversation when the three of us were there or more, including Brian Burke, he would go, hey, did I ever tell you about the time I drafted the Sedins together? And, you know, he'd <laughs> chuckle about that story, which it's actually a pretty incredible story when you think about it, being able to to do that. It and uh, so, say, unlike Borea, who even though Inga Hammerstrom was over with Borea, Borea really was... Uh, like a lonely warrior, like he really was on his own, where what a huge advantage. And that's not taking anything away from them. The Sedins had in coming over together. And also with Vancouver being a really good team, they were kind of, they were initially the second line. So there wasn't a pressure, you know, to be the individuals right away. So, um, but to your point, almost like as we revisited the summit series of 1972 and different, uh, different teams and individuals like Wayne Gretzky setting up behind the offensive zone net, making that into a, uh, a source of opportunity as opposed to it was thought of the, the last place you want it to be. That's kind of what the Sedins did, you know, and, and just, you know, remarkable about this, um, as you mentioned, this this instinct that only the two of them could communicate and had uh, that made it neat, yeah. the sixth sense that they had. And again, like Borea and like Alfredson, unfortunately, never won a Stanley Cup ring, which Peter Forsberg did. I mean, that's the ultimate thing people lack yep. at the end. But I, uh, I just always got a just just the skill factor in an era where that embrace skill compared to the era that Borea that Borea entered the NHL in. I you know I just love players that you look at and you say that there's nothing, nothing physically exceptional about them other than they're just great hockey players and they're smarter than everybody. Like, you look at the Sedins. They weren't faster than anybody. They didn't shoot harder than anybody. You know, they weren't, you know, certainly weren't stronger. I mean, they were certainly strong, you know, f- physically strong, but they weren't, you know, bullies out there. They didn't, you know, use physical, uh, their physical attributes w- whatsoever. They were just smarter than everybody. Like, they just played the game better, uh, better than almost anybody at that time. And it was in a way that... Uh, that was unique and people loved. Uh, certainly, Vancouver Canucks fan. Like the the thing that always stood out to me about the Sedins with that Vancouver Canucks team, um, that was like such a nasty team to play against. Like when you think about who was on that team, right? Whether it was Alex Burrows or Max Lapierre or Rafi Torres or Kevin Bieksa, like. This is a miserable team to play against. Like, you know, and be like, outside of Vancouver, like, you just hated playing against Vancouver. And in the middle of all of it, here's two of the classiest guys the game's ever seen. Like, right right in the middle of all of it. Like, there's all these, like, Hollywood villains surrounding, you know, two of the classiest gentlemen that may have ever played the game, Gordy. Yeah, you know, and look at the Sedins and look at Alfredson in that Vancouver team. The Todd Bertuzzi hit on uh, on on Moore on Steve Moore. It was never the same again. Like that team was a juggernaut, and all that just changed their the the basically their trajectory forever. Where you know, chatting with Chris Phillips, the um, lifelong Ottawa Senators, and now a member of their um, front office about the Ottawa Senators. It wasn't a dramatic hit like the Bertuzzi hit, but he just says those those playoff series against the Toronto Maple Leafs, like the Senators could have been a dynasty. They, they really could have. They're just almost like akin a bit to the Buffalo Bills when they were great. I mean, that's how great the Senators were, but you don't think of it because they had those playoff disappointments. And all I know is I was out there a few times, and in Vancouver, man, they had it humming. They had it going. They had a vibe. They had oh, they yeah. had everything. You know, they you know, and then they had to move some people because of cap reasons and what have you. But they, you know, they they had the goaltending, or no, they didn't have the goaltending till they got Luongo, that which was too late. But they had the defense, they had the forwards, they had a lot of things. And you're right about that. They had the physicality to go with the skill, and um, that's the unfortunate part. Is uh, is it just seemed like letting the air out of a balloon suddenly or bursting a balloon is how I yeah. remember when Todd Bertuzzi hit Steve Moore. 
And you know the um, I, I'll I'll still remember too. It was a great. Just speaking of that Vancouver Canucks team, the one that went to the Stanley Cup final and, and bowed out against Boston in seven, uh, back in two thousand eleven. There was a there's a, a wonderful moment. It was on Hockey Night in Canada. I can't remember which game it was, one of the games in the final, and they did a tight one shot of Max Lapierre on the bench, and Craig Simpson like okay, so you're doing the you know it's a stoppage in play, so it's over to Craig for comment, and there's a tight one shot on on Lapierre, and all Craig Simpson can say is, look at that face. How do you not want to punch it? And you kind of <laughs> felt like that entire way about like so many players on that team. Yet here are the Sedins right in yep. the middle of all of it. Um, there's so many wonderful people going into the uh, the Hall of Fame uh, on Monday. The Sedins, Daniel Alfredson, uh, Rika Salonen, who goes in as a first non-North American-born woman, one of the greatest uh, female players to ever play the game. She goes in, Roberta Luongo, and also... Herb Carnegie finally goes in in the builders category. And listen, we're both from Toronto, and I grew up playing in the MTHL at um, North York Centennial Arena, uh, the best ice uh, in all of Toronto. And that is now, of course, called Herb Carnegie uh, Arena and only fitting. It is a great rink, uh, the best sheet of ice in town, and it's got Herb Carnegie's name on it. Uh, I recently, uh, the last couple of days, picked up, and if you're watching on 360, I'm holding a copy of it up right now. Uh, Herb Carnegie's book, A Fly in a Pail of Milk, The Herb Carnegie Story, which I encourage every single hockey fan to pick up and read. Um, it is as inspiring uh, a person as Herb Carnegie was. Uh, the story is uh, the story is a tough one, and it's a story of overcoming as well. So many sports stories about overcoming, but few, if any, uh, went through what Herb Carnegie went through uh, and probably should have been there and should have played in the National Hockey League. Uh, do you have a, a thought or two on Herb Carnegie, uh, the Carnegie name enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Yeah, and, and really thrilled for his family, particularly Bernice, his daughter, who's really been, you know, kind of yep. um, waving the flag and doing doing her dad incredible, making him incredibly proud. And, you know, to your point, I've spent a lot of time there. By the way, North York Centennial, the legendary Curly Davies started that as the, the best ice going. We used to practice there with the Leafs way back when. And uh, I know your kid's playing yeah. hockey, so... When Justin was smaller, we got the 5.30 games at North Toronto Rita. What a piece of cake. Home for dinner, awesome. And then when he got older, we got those late <laughs> games at Herb Carnegie Arena Sunday nights, and then they get a flood as well. So, oh, my God, you're hanging yep. there on Sunday nights. But I, I would never not look at the display there. It's not, you know, it's not big. There's just a couple of display cases there that, um, you know, talk mm -hmm. about the life of Herb Carnegie. I would basically reread it every time. Every time, because to your point, Jeff, it just amazed me, you know, how great he was. And, yeah, the fact that, yeah, the, 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 he people, black people didn't get the opportunity, not just in hockey, but a lot of places. And he just, he rose above it to get all kinds of accolades and honors in the community. So he channeled all that positivity that obviously got him through hockey into post-hockey life. So, I mean, he's... He's he's yeah. a Hall of Famer as a person as much as he's a Hall of Famer as a as an as a as a hockey player and a builder and a, and so I'm thrilled for him. But if you're ever uh, you're looking to kill time anyway for starters, okay, when your kid when you have to drop your kid off early there, but at Herb Carnegie Arena, it's certainly <laughs> worth a look. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the great Jean Beliveau, the classiest player to ever play in the NHL, always went out of his way to mention, because they played together, Quebec Aces, uh, in, the, in, the, in the senior league. He always went out of his way to mention how Herb, Herb Carnegie had the skill, had the talent, uh, and should have been uh, an NHL player. Again, his book, and I encourage everyone to read it, A Fly in a Pail of Milk, the Herb Carnegie story. Uh, this is uh, written by Herb with his daughter, as Gord mentions, uh, Bernice Carnegie. Um, real quick, before I let you go, your thoughts on what we saw last night at the Key Bank between the Buffalo Sabres and the Jack Eichel-led Vegas Golden Knights. I like seeing things happen again, Buffalo becoming a happening place. I know the Bills have kind of taken over. Um, I, I like the human side of Jack Eichel to acknowledge his feelings were hurt. You know, that's not sucky. I, I like that, yeah. you know. And I, I still maintain last year that the number of people that actually booed is less. It's disproportionate because the noise... You know, they're vocal, and I have to think there's some appreciation, you know, what he brought to Buffalo for a bit and the hope, and, and now the trade is working out for the Buffalo Sabres as well. Man, to go back to your old stomping ground 
and do what he did. And you mentioned the two breakaways early on. So I know he got three goals in the third period. The third was an empty netter, but he was a happening guy throughout the game. And uh, I I just like seeing those kind of stories, you know, and maybe as he comes down the road more, uh, the booing will dissipate and, you know, the Sabres become more of a a, a better team too and a contender and and appreciate what he brought there. But boy, the Vegas fans are going to appreciate what a healthy Jack Eichel is going to bring there. That's for sure. You know, I just wonder, too, about the Buffalo Sabres. Um, uh, final thought on this one. I just wonder about the Buffalo Sabres, Gord. We've seen them have hot Octobers before. We've seen the Sabres get out to the, the great start to kick off the season. I just hope this isn't another, because now they've lost four in a row, another, you know, November swoon for the Buffalo Sabres, you know? No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I... It, this is yeah i hope it's not this is more building from uh you know from within i think there's more of a foundation there than before and uh hey by the way our buddy todd alushko is listening to us loves us loves what he's hearing and he said forsberg was the strongest player i played against in the nhl separated both my shoulders trying to hit forsberg once in the olympics and once when he played in colorado <laughs> like hitting a brick wall so there we go probably a guy yeah. like alushko's shoulders are getting a little twinge today talking about those great those great swedish players some in the hall of fame and a few more joining peter forsberg yeah. uh, uh this weekend and for those who don't know, Todd does exceptional work with uh, with Adler Mannheim, the Eagles, yeah. in the and the DEL cranking out uh, your whether it's your Moritz Siders and your Tim Stutzelas. He's done uh, some great uh, work there, and always goes out of his way, whether it's a text or a phone call or something, to remind me about the next great German hockey player coming. Uh, Halush goes all over it. Uh, Gordy, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Uh, enjoy Hall of Fame weekend in Toronto, and we'll catch up soon, my friend. Yeah, just I, I say Halushko and Boria saw me were the same boy. They attack life the same way. They worked hard and played hard. So I, I will do that. And uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing Boria tonight and all the others. And uh, uh, yeah. great chatting with you today, Jeff, as always. Always good. Thanks. Just a little disparity in skill there. Just a little bit between the two. There is the great Gord, uh, Gord Stalick. Um, you can listen to him mornings along with Scott Lachlan on, uh, on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, co-host of The Morning Skate. Coming up in hour two, um, Elliot Friedman, he got tied up doing something, I believe, with the Pittsburgh Penguins who are skating the Hall of Fame game tonight, the Penguins uh, and the Maple Leafs. Uh, so Elliot's going to join us to kick off our two. Uh, in the meantime, uh, some Twitter-verse questions left over from yesterday, some really insightful ones as well. Uh, lots to get to today. Thanks for being aboard. Glad to have you here once again. Merrick's show continues back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, I uh, I don't think for a second that when Yarmo Kekalainen signed Johnny Gaudreau in the offseason, that the Columbus Blue Jackets thought that they would be in the Connor Bedard conversation, but here we are. Uh, last in the NHL, although a big win last night against the Philadelphia Flyers, but last in the NHL, 5-2 is the final there. John Tortorella just left at the end of the uh, matchup. Um, 5-2 is the final. They're last in the NHL, and the news today, and we saw Zach Wierenski leave the game yesterday, uh, attempting a hit, goes crashing into the boards. Uh, he has a torn labrum. He is out for the season. Uh, that's awful for the uh, for the Blue Jackets, obviously, um, who we were under the impression were looking for, you know, maybe one more defenseman and maybe a center as well to try to get back into this thing. Now you wonder what the decision is going to be for the remainder of the season. Again, you can't tell players to tank. They won't. Uh, case in point there, the Arizona Coyotes. We'll talk about them a little bit later on in hour two, who all of a sudden... Or in a wild card spot. Um, but now out Wierenski. Still need a center. Now you need two defensemen. And you're getting questionable goaltending. Again, I don't think for a second that this team considered being in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. But even if it's not Connor Bedard, even if it's Adam Fantilli, who's pretty good consolation prize, ask anyone watching Michigan games these days. There's a lot of reward for being bad this season. Whether you're deliberately bad, see Arizona, see Chicago, teams that have structured it this way, although Arizona's thrown a a wrench into things, or you're bad by accident. 
and not necessarily by design. And that's where we find the Columbus Blue Jackets right now. That's tough. Zach Wierenski out for the season. Torn labrum. Ouch. That stings. Um, Matt Marchese, our producer, joining me once again. How are you today, Matty? I'm good. Adam Fantilli, good Nobleton boy. <laughs> you couldn't resist. Right? Couldn't resist. My hometown. Couldn't resist. Adam, Adam, yeah, Adam, Adam Fantilli, a stud in the GTHL, who in that final OHL Cup game, it was uh, his Red Wings against Shane Wright, Brennan Othman's, uh, Don Mills Flyers. It was won by the Don Mills Flyers, but uh, leading up to that, like Fantilli was possessed, was a beast, best player in the game, hands down. Uh, sort of lived in the shadows of of other players in the GTHL, but this guy, like whoever doesn't get Connor Bedard, like it's okay. You're still getting an elite level player, like super elite. In uh, in Fantilli right now, if you don't know, he plays for the University of Michigan Wolverines and is. Ripping it up. Uh, anyhow, some Twitter questions left over from yesterday, right? Yeah, there's lots of good ones. So I figured we'd get to them today. What do we got? All right. Uh, this this one from JG. Extreme thought. How do you feel about a dotted blue line? There would be no barrier to entry into the offensive zone, but once the, pro- the puck crosses the blue line, it then becomes solid. Holding the line remains intact for special teams, but a free-for-all to actually enter the offensive zone. So it so once you make the zone entry, then it turns solid. Yeah. So basically, to get in, you can fire the guy. You can have a guy sitting in the zone from in your while you're in your own end, and it wouldn't be offside. But once the puck actually gets in, then the line becomes oh, solid. Okay. So basically, no offsides okay, so it until become, it comes it, out. It, no, no offsides, but it becomes a zone once the puck enters. Yeah. Uh on initial thought, I like the idea of getting rid of the blue lines to begin with. So check mark there. You see, I always wonder about the law of unintended consequences with all these things, right? Because we're all on the same page about the Matt Duchesne offside. They need to have video review for this and this can't stand and blah, 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 blah. And now we all hate the video review for the offsides. <laughs> now, we, now we all can't stand it. I'm sure, hmm, I'm sure there's something in here that falls under a law of unintended consequences. I just can't think of it right now, but at first blush, I don't mind it. Namely because I don't mind the idea of someone just hanging out beside the other team's net because you know, the traditional thinking is always, oh, he's just goal sucking. You got to get rid of goal sucking. Well, goal sucking forces you into a decision. Like I think we need to be, as a sport, I think we need to force players into more decisions Mm -hmm. and force teams into more decisions and in this case your decision is do you put someone with that player that's essentially standing beside your goaltender while the puck is in the other zone in in the 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 other end or do you take the player advantage do you take the five on four knowing that if the puck turns over it's a quick pass up and all of a sudden breakaway yeah it's interesting because i'm just thinking about scenarios yeah I like it. It, it. it forces a decision. I, I like that a lot. I mean, my answer ultimately is always just get rid of the blue lines. And my thought process behind it is this. Um, Maddie, if, if hockey didn't exist, okay, if there was no such thing as hockey, and I came to you with a very primitive idea for this sport and said there's going to be a sheet of ice and there's going to be players on each side, there's going to be two nets, uh, it's going to be played on skates, and there's this you know, little round rubber thing called a puck. Uh, that's the basis of it. Now, you go make the rules. Would you make offside? First thing would I'd... you create offside? Like, Would that be part of the rule packet, rules package that you made? Firstly, I would say that you were crazy because who would play on a sheet of ice with a round with a circular <laughs> rubber disc? Um, but no, probably not because I mean, especially now, we're all about entertainment, right? And you want to see, like yeah. you say, people make decisions and and score goals and make plays. And yeah, I, I think I think you're probably right. I think I I like this idea to be honest with you. I think this is really good because it avoids a lot of. You know, there there are, you know, the, the Cole Sillinger goal comes to example, the one that was called back. It was a brilliant individual display. It was from about a month ago, but, and it was called back because it was yeah. offside. So, but, he, but here's the thing about it. So let's say, okay, I'm just going through this in my head. 
So let's say there's a player in the offensive zone. Um, the player gets past the puck, and all of a sudden there's an offensive zone. What happens when the puck comes out and everyone's trapped in the offensive zone? You just dump it right back in. So really, are you creating the zone? No, you're not. Yeah. Because no one has to exit. No one has to leave. Yeah, that's true. Have you ever something about it that I didn't like, and that and that and that's what it is. Yeah. Have you ever thought of the ball hockey offside rule? I think you know what that is. Yeah, that's so yeah, the minute so the minute you cross the blue line, all of a sudden the offensive zone goes back to the red line. That yeah. becomes the f- complete offensive zone. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, that is that is the ball hockey rule. No, what I mean, I think we're we're just dancing around the issue here. Offside. Get rid of offside. Yeah. Just get rid of it. Okay. Like, okay. I mean, how many times you said, "Oh, I can't wait to go watch the game tonight." Why? Oh, this team is great at zone entries. <laughs> They're great yeah. at not going offside. <laughs> okay, so that leads into another question. That leads into another question. Since yeah. you've answered one part of it already, so uh, this from Davdi, and he says, uh, "You're gifted or cursed with the role of NHL's commissioner with the directive to drastically spice up the game to make it splashy and draw more people in." After changing the ice color to bright green, what five changes do you make to make the game more interesting? Uh, to make the game more interesting, well, I've, 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 uh, I've, one of the things that I've lobbied for for the past few years is um, is the penalty kill idea, mm-hmm. where if you kill a penalty, your player comes out of the box. I think anything you can do, like what I'm always interested in, is what can create momentum swings. Like what can change momentum? Because you know the the game now and, and so far it's been really exciting because we get a lot of you know third period lead changes before you could go up two goals in the first period and then just sit on the game. You can't do that anymore. Uh, so you're always looking for moments where you can change the momentum of a game. Um, so I like the idea of uh, an actual penalty kill, which means if you score shorthanded, you've killed the penalty. Your player comes out of the box, sorry. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, everyone on the power play goes back to the bench and hears it from the coach and there's a big momentum swing and the team that was shorthanded all of a sudden captures some great momentum and they carry that into the next shift, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I like that. The other thing that I, that I still think that I would do is, and I think the NHL missed this in this last wave of, of, um, of arena building is not making it mandatory to at least have the option to make, the ice a little bit wider not longer but maybe like right now it's 200 by 85 maybe like a 92 92 mm-hmm. maybe 94 to the to the uh to the outside was as far as width goes just that little bit extra and now the guys are skating so fast just to give them a little bit extra room to take defensemen outside that's what that's that's what i would probably do yeah i like you have one for that one yeah, I've been thinking like? I've been thinking about the idea of it's more to increase scoring and if if you could do something where any any infraction that basically takes away a scoring chance within a certain radius of the net, much like in soccer, becomes a penalty shot. Mm-hmm. A penalty shot or the option to either take the power play or the penalty shot. Yep. Yeah. I, you know what though? Here's another one for you. Cause he, okay. How about the, uh, no, you know what I would do to spice it up? Here's what I would do to spice it up. End of the season, you do a playoff draft and the top teams get to choose who they play in the first round. Oh, no team would go you for choose that. Your, you choose, I love you, it. You choose your opponent. Yeah, you choose your opponent. <laughs> you tell me you would not watch. You would not watch that show. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like not even a question. I wouldn't want to be the one picking. Like how would <laughs> would you? Well, would you choose it based on standings, your record against that team? Would you pick it based on travel, uh, injury status? I I base I mean, it on it is on who right. has yeah. the better zone entries. <laughs> That you know what? That's what I would do. You choose your opponent in the playoffs. Automatic yeah. heat. Automatic. Automatic. New level of stress in the playoffs. Yeah. I, you choose your opponent in the first round. I also think that this rule should be implemented anyway. But if you have an empty net mm-hmm. and you ice the puck, you cannot replace your goaltender or your uh, the extra attacker with your goaltender. Shouldn't be allowed. It's a line change. 
Uh, I get that one. I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with that. It's almost an automatic goal, but okay. Well, I mean, well, that's why you have to have a good face-off guy out there. Get better on your draws, kids. <laughs> Could pay off one day for you. Uh, okay, so the, um, we got another one here. This one I, I thought was super interesting, um, and I'll leave that up to you to decide if it is. Um, I want to say Ratatosker is the tweeter that sent this to us. Who's usually okay. higher up in an organization's coaching hierarchy? The assistant coaches or the head coach of the AHL team? Specifically, Marco Sturm used to be an assistant with the Kings. Now he's the head coach of the Reign. Promotion, demotion, or lateral move? I think it all, honestly, I think that this all depends on the organization. Like, uh, sometimes the obvious choice is to slide over um, the assistant coach if the assistant coach has um, a certain coaching background. Like, last year, St. Louis Blues, okay? Craig Berube's a head coach. If something would have wildly happened with St. Louis and Doug Armstrong had to make a make a move and fire Craig Berube, you know, Jim Montgomery would have slid over mm-hmm. and 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 taken that spot. It wouldn't have been someone from the AHL affiliate. Whereas, I think if you look at a team like Vancouver, okay? So with Bruce Boudreau there, and, and you know, listen, we all know what Rutherford's been going on about the last four or five interviews. Um, so that story is well told. If Vancouver ends up making a move behind the bench, I think safe to say that it wouldn't be Mike Yo that goes that slides over to coach. I think it would probably be Jeremy Culleton, who coaches in AHL Abbotsford. So I I don't I don't think that there's. I don't think there's one way you can look at it. I think everything in this in these situations are situational. Sometimes your American Hockey League coach is higher up on the food chain on your coaching ladder than your assistant coaches who may or may not have, you know, NHL head coaching experience. My my thing would be, and I I don't disagree with any of that. I just wonder about having head coaching experience period if that if that means more because there are sometimes that you know a coach gets fired the assistant coach slides over and he has no head coaching experience so does that help in you know as an interim guy if you are in the case of Marco Sturm who's now a head coach because those are two entirely different things as you know a head coach and an assistant coach and having that head coaching experience I just wonder how much that plays into decision making with front offices in the event that they need to let go of a coach. You know, the interesting thing is, too, is um, you have a different personality when you're a head coach, and this is why sometimes it doesn't really work when the assistant coach slides over because, you know, the assistant coach is sometimes there to play ambassador or goodwill between the player and the coach. Hey, uh, this is what coach was trying to say here. I know he was a little bit heavy on you, but, you know, really he's got a lot of things to juggle right now, and and here's what he, he believes in you, he loves you, but this is what he was getting at. This is why he was behaving this way. And then when that assistant coach all of a sudden takes on the role of the head coach, there's a certain responsibility and a certain, like every coach has a performative element to their coaching now when they take that, when they take the lead reins. And sometimes the players will look at that coach sideways and say, well, hang on a second. Like two weeks ago, you're like inviting me over for a barbecue at your place and you're like, nice guy, Eddie. And now all of a sudden, you know, this guy's bag skating me and he won't even talk to me and the door is closed. And I can't like something like it's like there's a there's a, a sort of element of, you know, this isn't really who this is. Uh, when you shift from becoming an assistant coach to a head coach and players can kind of look at you sideways, like, mm, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm not sure that I'm buying the act here, which is always why it's easier to go as from an, as a, as an assistant coach to a head coaching role with a different organization, not necessarily your own. Yeah, that's a, I like that. And I do think that head coaching experience does add a lot of value to the resume. And you, and you kind of touched on this last question, but we'll maybe get a, a couple minutes in depth here. I know we only have a couple left, but uh, the Sabres, this is from Dan Kerwin. The Sabres are beginning their annual November swoon again, youngest team in the league, but there will talent alone pull them out of it this year so that they're still playing meaningful games in 2023? Okay, are you asking my head or are you asking my heart? Not your heart, because I know what your heart wants to say. <laughs> My heart wants the Sabres to be really good. I've been saying that my whole life, going back to when I was a you know, little, little Jeffy used to watch the Buffalo Sabres and the French Connection. 
Uh, I really want Buffalo to be really good, but my head says no, that they're still not there yet. And I think that the organization realized that, recognized that um, in the offseason where it was, sure, they brought in Eric Comrie. Uh, but other than that, it was just all about re-signing, and this was, of course, led by by Tage Thompson and then Matias Samuelson, just cementing what they had before they started to add to it. Like looking at the landscape and saying, okay, we're not there to hang with you know, Toronto and Tampa and Boston and, and Florida. We're still maybe at least another season away. Like this is what the Sabres recognize. This isn't what, you know, what, what I'm just thinking. So... I think October was great for him. It was a really, really fun ride. Anyone who follows and measures the game by underlying numbers and analytics will tell you that everything that we were seeing was unsustainable, specifically the net minding. You've lost four in a row now. My head says, yeah, it was all a mirage. Don't believe your eyes. But my heart says, no, 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 no. I want that to be real, please. Because there are every now and then. We think of a, you know, a Anaheim Ducks, Bruce Boudreaux team. We think of a Colorado Patrick Waugh team, a Bob Hartley Calgary team. It has happened where the underlings are awful, but the team is good. And I was just kind of hoping that Buffalo was going to be that team this season. Uh, thanks, Maddie. Thanks for the questions as well. America's show continues. Keep it here. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Uh, New Jersey Devils taking it to the Ottawa Senators yesterday, 4-3 in overtime. Uh, it was Nico Heischer with a pair of goals, including the overtime winner, a real nice tip on that Dougie Hamilton shot. It's almost to the point where, I mean, penalties are kind of an automatic, almost. It's pretty close. You're going to get to one in uh, in overtime, and that was the difference yesterday. Uh, Vitek Vanacek, netminder, gets tangled up with Thomas Shabbat. He leaves the game. Uh, Akira Schmid comes in. Shuts the door. I think he only had to face like four or five shots, but still, nonetheless, it was a pair of Swiss-born hockey players getting it done. It was uh, uh, Nico Hischer with a pair of goals and Akira Schmid shutting it down for the New Jersey Devils that they continue to be a story uh, around the NHL. So you bring in Matt Marchese, our producer. Matty, you have returned. It's the time for the uh, the weekly uh, rundown of what happened this week, right? It is. The Devils were on the list, so we were going to wait for that a little bit. But I have you know, I'll start there. Okay. Start there. All right. So I'll start the, there. Yeah, let's do it. The New Jersey Devils win streak reaches eight, and we had Tom Fitzgerald on, and you know when he when he waxed poetic about Nico Heischer, he he mentioned Patrice Bergeron and, and and talked about playing with him, and there's only one Patrice Bergeron, and I know that yeah. you do have a picture of Nico Heischer somewhere in your house, but. The way that this guy is playing right now, I remember when when he was drafted. I don't. I, I think people thought that he was going to be able to produce offensively at the NHL level, but certainly defensively, he was going to be more than responsible, more than capable, and eventually in the Selkie conversation. But I believe over his last like 82 games, he has something like 75 points, and the offense is really starting to 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 show at the NHL level now. And I think that's the the difference maker for him at this moment. You know, his draft year, I think he was one of, I think he was one of the youngest players in the CHL as well. Like he came over, he only played the one year in Halifax and uh, he came over and, you know, hotshot kid coming over from Europe and he got, and we talked about the Sedins earlier in the program. We talked about Salming earlier in the program. And he got challenged like physically and got, slashed and cross-checked and all those things that, you know, you unfortunately expect uh, a rookie import uh, to go through. Uh, he's playing with the Halifax Mooseheads. Um, and he was exceptional. And with all due respect to the the players that he played with, it wasn't as if he was, you know, riding shotgun with a lot of elite-level players. Like, there have been some spectacular players that have gone through Halifax. And right away, of course, we'll think about Nathan McKinnon. Um, but I remember asking someone with the organization uh, a, f- a few years ago, like, who's the best player you've ever seen come through here? And Halifax has this, like, storied history. It's like London Knights, you know, storied history of elite-level players that they've graduated to the NHL. And this person said to me, Nico Heischer. And I said, well, listen, like, Heischer's great and all that, but I, 
And you kind of got Nathan McKinnon here. <laughs> like you've had some like elite level. John Drewan's great junior. Uh, you've had some some great players come through. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Like he sure came in here as an import. You know, didn't know the league, didn't know the culture, didn't know anybody on his team. And you'll remember that draft. Like he started like on some lists, he was outside of the first round. And I know there's always that guy that joins like either the late in the first round on the on the preseason uh, uh, speculation, and then next thing you know, they're top three. Um, uh, there's no, the 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 draft is is writ. I mean, uh, Miro Haskinen was that guy with Dallas, and I remember it was right around uh, just after Christmas at one of the Four Nations tournaments where he really took off. But he sure just climbed all season long. Like every month, new rankings, he sure's up, he sure's up, he sure's up. And it's because of just how he endured that physical punishment in Halifax and was able to continue to put up points and to continue to perform. The problem with he sure's always been the hospital bracelet, right? Just stay healthy, man. And you can say it about any team, but really if New Jersey has a shot here, if New Jersey has a chance, I don't know, listen, right now things are going great, winners of eight in a row, tops in the uh, Metropolitan, everything's cooking. But if they have a shot here, they're going to really need, they're going to have to, they're going to have to stay healthy. They're going to have to make sure the hospital bracelets stay off if they're going to do this. They have the talent to do it. I mean, Brat's on another level. We all know about Jack Hughes. We've been making the case for Nico Heischer for a while. But they're getting it down the lineup as well. Like, like don't sleep on, on Yegor Sharangovic, the excellent hockey player there too. Like, they have up and and John Marino's playing great. Put it this way. You have Damon Severson on your third pair, right? Like, you look at the right side, Hamilton, Marino, Severson. When you have Damon Severson as your third-pairing defenseman, you're doing something right, Maddie, and they look good. The only question, again, again, the only question I have about New Jersey is, are they big enough, A, for the grind, and B, for the playoffs? But other than that, this team is just loaded with skill, and now that they're getting the saves, you're seeing... You know, why this team was so frustrated last year when essentially it was, you know, pretty much the identical team, but they just weren't getting a save. This year, they're getting a save. Yeah, and hopefully Vitek Vanacek's not out for a significant period of time. Um, just on that Nico Heischer Halifax team, uh, do you know how many players you talk about, you know, the team was, it's not like he was riding shotgun with anybody. Um, do you know yeah. how many players played NHL games off of that team? Zero. One. One other one, other than Heischer. Oh, who was it? Uh, Benoit Olivier Grew, Anaheim. Oh, Benny Grew, yeah, drafted by the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's the only one. So that's, that, a, that's or, a testament or, or, to, to Heischer in that yeah. season that he had. He had over 80 points in 50-something games. Pretty good. Not bad. Not bad at all. All no, right. That's good. That's um, good. A scary injury, uh, and it's gonna and it's and it's gonna hurt the Edmonton Oilers because he's been a really productive player. Uh, Vander Kane gets the skate to the wrist, and he will miss three to four months. And you talk about how how an addition to a team made a significant impact, and that was Vander Kane. I know playing with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl is easier than playing with most. Sometimes it's harder. But Evander Kane made a big impact on that Oilers team and now missing him for three to four months in a stretch where, you know, they're not playing all that great. They're not getting a lot of saves. They need as many goals as they can get. Missing Evander Kane is is big. Yeah. That's a big one. They're going to do it. Um, they'll do it internally. Uh, we saw Dylan Holloway initially take the Evander Kane spot, but then as the game started to slip away from the Oilers, you know, no surprise. You know, Woodcroft goes back to the in case of emergency break glass move of putting Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl together as you just look to manufacture goals, not unlike what Joel Quenville used to do. Uh, when they had to try to manufacture them, and he would just put Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane together after always having uh, kept them separate. Um, you know, I, th- I think we're going to get a lot of Dylan Holloway and, and see what he can be all about here. I think, you know, I think Tyler Benson uh, eventually um, will play a more significant role. Um, I the, the The problem with this one is... You know, eventually Evander Kane's coming back, and so you're going to have to accommodate his $5 million. So it's not as if you say, okay, he's not coming back till the playoffs. We can kind of tuck him away and hide him and uh, and take that $5 million uh, worth of cap space and, and add another player here. Ha, 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 watch us go. They can't do that because, what is it, um, late February, early March 
is where uh, is where Evander Kane will probably be coming back into this lineup. So that's a tough one. But you know, uh, as one door closes, one door opens, and now uh, now you're going to get a chance to to see what what Dylan Holloway uh, is all about here. Well, first round draft pick, Wisconsin, um, not shy out there. Good shot. We'll see. We'll see, but there was a that was that was a that was a tough one to watch last night uh, against the Hurricanes. But uh, you can see right away how much uh, how much this team misses uh, misses Evander Kane. Like I think we look at the squad, and as much as we have question marks uh, about the goaltending, I think we also have question marks uh, about the the blue line. They probably need one more defenseman, and now with Evander Kane out, you wonder what they can do up front. But if Holloway can be the internal solution. That's best case because then you don't really have to worry about it until until the player comes back. Okay, so since we were ta- on the on the Edmonton page, let's look at the the province of Alberta and the struggles going on oh, between bad, the Flames man. and the Oilers. And yeah, the Flames bad. can't score. The Oilers can't get a save. I read somewhere, and I don't I don't remember who. And I I'm sorry. I apologize to whoever tweeted it because it was a great stat. Jack Campbell to get to like a nine. 10 save percentage needs to make like 138 straight saves. That's how bad it's been in Edmonton. And in Calgary, yeah. they can't score. So there's lots of issues in the province of Alberta right now. Yeah, and the Huberto injury doesn't help um, because you're waiting for him eventually to uh, to pop. Like, look, I, I don't think it's any secret that Brad Treliving is looking for another forward and has been for a while now. Um, but, I mean, you heard Elliot talk about it. Like, I, th- I think Elliot's bang on. You know, I think this is um, this is a team that really looks lost, and you you saw it last night, didn't you? Like that was a mm-hmm. team that just has that sort of that what they call it, the thousand yards there, like staring off into the into the distance. Like what's what's happened to those early Calgary Flames that we were talking about? You know, being the uh, the, the 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 best team in the NHL, at least the best team in Canada. Um, I still think there's too much talent there, and once the back end gets healthier, uh, I I think you'll see a different Calgary Flames team. Man, it really does underscore how valuable someone like Chris Tanev is. You know, it's like the Vancouver Canucks haven't recovered, and now the Flames can't you know afford to have Chris Tanev out. Um, the worst team to judge yourself up against, though, right now, the Boston Bruins, and I know they hung in there against Boston. It was an empty netter at the end. It was really a two-to-one game. But that's not the team that you want to play when you're trying to, quote-unquote, find yourself. No. Because Boston will bury you right now. And they did that last night. The score, I mean, the, the it's really a two-to-one game. But that's not the team that you want to play when you're going through an identity crisis. Because they'll just make it worse. And you have the returning Charlie McAvoy who, you know, ends up playing with Matt Grizzlick and, and gets the game winning goal. That's a that's a that's a tough card for the Calgary Flames to draw. I don't know, like I'm with Freach. I don't know what they do at this point. You know, it, it's tough. You can't do a you can't have a brawl game. You know, the the blockbuster trade to shake things up really isn't there uh for uh for a lot of teams, if any teams right now. Uh, because so many teams are still in, we think we have a shot at playoffs, so no one's going to make a move. It's tough, man. I don't know the way out of this for the Calgary Flames, other than need your goalie to steal a couple here and move along. Just a, a quick aside on the, this wasn't part of the weekend review, but since we're talking about the Bruins, are you surprised at at how the goaltending duo has kind of shaken up in Boston? Like, Linus Allmark is having like a Vesna-type season. His great. goals against 195, the save percentage is 936 and he's played and he's had 11 starts to Jeremy Swayman's three like I, I Swayman was really yeah. good last year and Allmark was kind of the one that you were a little bit unsure of but Allmark's really playing above uh, above the contract that he was given right now yeah he's uh it's a five million dollar deal um you know it's interesting because the uh even though he was a pending free agent they uh the buffalo sabers protected him in the expansion draft like buffalo thought he was coming back mm-hmm. like i can only imagine what that scramble would have been like for the buffalo sabers when you know right before free agency opens um allmark's group says to you know, says to the buffalo sabers uh, oh yeah we're not coming back we're going to sign with and turn out to be the boston bruins i guess there might have been a chance that he would have signed with colorado 
who are about to let go of Philip Grubauer to Seattle. Um, I, I think that there's always been a really good goaltender in uh, in Linus Allmark. I know for you know for various reasons. I think there was the one year where you know conditioning was uh, was an issue. Uh, a couple of seasons uh, as, uh, ago, his father passed away, and that really affected his performance, and understandably so. His dad had been uh, had been ill, but you know there are just some guys that you you cheer for, and I know it's easy because of the post game celebrations to cheer for the tandem of both of them. But Linus Allmark has always been one of those, just because of the adversity that he's gone through. Um, he's always been one of those guys that I've I've really cheered for, and uh, I'm glad he got the contract that he did. And you're right. As much as we thought this was going to be, you know, uh oh, they've gone from Tim Thomas, awesome, to Tuka Rask, awesome, now to a big, huge question mark. You know, Linus Allmark is showing that uh, even though he might not be in the same conversation as, as Tuka Rask, who is a beast um, for the Boston Bruins, he's right there. Like he's he's been exceptional. And I still do think that Swayman, you know, because you know he could have made you know some you, know, you should should have got some Calder Trophy love. Uh, I still think that uh, that Swayman's going to be an excellent goaltender for the future for the uh, for the Boston Bruins. Like I think that these guys are, you know, as much as it's always been an embarrassment of riches on the blue line, going back to the Eddie Shore, Lionel Hitchman days of the Boston Bruins, um, they've always had really good goaltending too, and that looks like it continues here with Linus Allmark. It does. Um, Paul Maurice, one of our favorites, passes the legendary and the late Al Arbor for sixth all-time in NHL coaching wins. And Paul Maurice has been coaching for a long time. And I, I I wanted to put this in there because I just love Paul Maurice. I love when he does interviews. I love when he talks to the media. He's one of my favorite people in the game. And to see him continue to have success with a new organization now, I, I love seeing it. And I know yeah. that you're a big fan of Paul's as well. You know what I've always wondered about with Paul, and I am, um, and he's going to get Aaron Eckblad this weekend, and Matthew Kachuk's suspension is uh, is done, so that's great for the Florida Panthers. Um, you know what I've always wondered about with Paul Maurice? I've always wondered if there's any part of him that wants to get into management. Mm. Like, I know that he loves coaching. That's obvious, even though he, you know, felt the burn of it all last year when he stepped away. And that might have been just, you know, to... Uh, maybe to do a favor for the Winnipeg Jets, but still. Uh, I've always wondered if Paul Maurice, because he does have that kind of brain, mm-hmm. much like we wonder about Barry Trotz one day becoming a manager in the NHL somewhere. I've always wondered that about Paul Maurice because he does have that kind of brain. He's a very, very smart guy who's a hockey lifer and understands hockey at a lot of different levels. I know he... I know he needs to have that, you know, I have my hand on the competition here. Like some guys just need the charge of a win and a loss and, you know, not from up top, but from right on the bench. And 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 Paul still seems to have that unquenchable thirst for it. I just wonder if, if one day management is in is in Paul Maurice's future. I who who was the last coach that we've seen make the switch to being a full-time gem because it's been a, I feel like it's been a while since we've seen that, like a long time coach that ends up becoming a GM. Like Pat Quinn obviously comes to mind, but off the top of Sutter. my head, Sutter. Yeah, that's true too. So, I mean, it, it doesn't I mean, happen very it, often. No, it's, it's, it's one or the other. I mean, I, I think we're evolving away as well from the, you know, you don't necessarily have to have played the game in order to be a manager. Like there's one thing to be able to, to play the game. And it's another thing to be able to think the game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you certainly have to have a knowledge of what the game is all about, but I don't think you necessarily have to have played in the NHL to be a successful manager uh, in the NHL. I mean, I mean, how many times did you hear? I mean, Jay Feaster heard it a ton. Oh, curbside lawyers trying to be a manager in the American Hockey League. Okay, he wins the Calder Cup. Oh, Jay Feaster. Okay, curbside lawyer. I get it. Ha ha. Uh, curbside lawyer. He's going to try to win the Stanley Cup. Wins the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Like then now it seems as if more and more, you don't necessarily have to have played in the NHL. I think you have to have a background in hockey but you don't have to have played the game in order to manage a team 
or I would even argue coach a team. But that's for a whole a whole another conversation. But I think the game is is evolving more towards um, people who a can understand the game and can think the game, as opposed to you know did you play you know did you spend you know hours shooting you know frozen cow patties off the the side of a barn in in Moose Jaw. Like I look at someone like Eric Tulski, for example, or even Kyle Dubas in in Toronto. Like people that like, I think Tulski is going to be a general manager in the NHL one day. He interviewed with Chicago uh, and got really deep into the in the uh, interview process there. But I mean, he's one of the smartest hockey minds going, and has a diverse business background as well. Like, and there's someone that you know didn't play in the National Hockey League last time I I checked. Um, so I think we're going to start to continue to see more of those. I mean, it's happened in other sports for years, and like many things. Hockey is always the last sport to get to that dance. It's the last sport with analytics, the last sport with a lot of progressive hires, and specifically to say, you know what? Even if you didn't play in the NHL, that doesn't mean you can't be a manager here. Uh, thanks to everybody who uh, participated in the show this week. And our guest today, Elliot Friedman, as always, from Hockey Night in Canada, and Gord Stelic from NHL Network Radio. Uh, Frank, Jen, Lance, and Matt, thank you very much for the week that was. Enjoy Hall of Fame weekend. Should be a great one. Monday will be special. Merrick Show returns noon Eastern. We'll talk a lot of Hall of Fame that day. Have a great weekend.